G'day, and welcome to the Whiskey Roundtable podcast. During their 2020 lockdown, four whiskey friends based out of Sydney, Australia, started a weekly live show to help keep themselves sane and entertained. Bringing on special friends, guests, and experts from all over the world, in 2021, we're expanding that weekly live show into a podcast. G'day guys, I'm Alexandra Dallenberg or Whiskey Culture. Uh, I'm the New South Wales Operations Manager for the Speakeasy Group and also Viking Queen of Mjolnir in Sydney. Hey guys, I'm Andrew Milne, originally from the UK, but now living in Australia with the rest of this gang. I run the marketing here for International Whiskies and Agave for South Trade International. Hi, I'm Matt Bailey, the National Ambassador for the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. And I'm Scott Fitzsimons. Whiskey and Spirits Educator at the Oak Barrel in Sydney, Australia, Editor of WhiskeyArden.com.au and Founder of WhiskeyMerch.com.au. These podcasts are edited from the weekly live show, which you can watch back at Facebook.com slash WhiskeyRoundtable. Things can get a little bit loose and a little bit rowdy sometimes, so I do apologise if the audio trips over itself sometimes. Happy days. This is why we do podcasts, because you can't see the mistakes I'm making. Today, and welcome back to Season 21 of the Whiskey Roundtable. For those of you who missed the video introduction there, which is all of us, let me give you a little bit of insight into what has happened in the past seven or eight weeks while we've been away. Milne, uh, Andrew Milne, uh, sitting down there in the bottom right-hand corner of your screens if you're watching live, spent Christmas alone all by himself, separated from his family. That's what he did. Matt Bailey has spent the last seven or eight weeks planning his costume changes, and right up to five seconds ago, he was wearing a different shirt. (laughs) Alex Dahlenberg made friends with a lizard in her time away, and I spent a bit of it in lockdown after being involved in a COVID cluster. I stuck things up my nose, and I came back negative. It is my great pleasure to welcome you back. Serves you right for going to BWS. <laughs> to, to back to the round table to get it all off and running. It is it is big. We have we are going to have a, a very big year. We've got sponsors coming on board. Um, that's about it. But what we do have is very very special guests all throughout the year. We're kicking off 2021 with arguably the biggest guests we've had so far this year. Um, people thought you could only make that joke in the first week of the year. I'm making it all the way. Hey in February. hey hey! My dad takes the cake. I'm sorry, Becky. This year, this year. She missed the joke. I said this year. Oh. <laughs> so I think before we go too, too much further, I think nothing says more about a person than their email signature. So to introduce Becky to the stream, I might just rattle off parts of that, uh, that email signature. IWSC Communicator of the Year 2020. Icons of Whiskey Communicator of the Year 2020. Um, about Times Top 10 Women to Watch in Drinks. Uh, and Spirit Awards for Best Cocktail Spirits Whiskey Something Festival 2020 finalist ex- and finalist winner 2020, all, all that sort of stuff. Um, Becky, welcome to the stream. And I know that's a pretty, um, you know, exemplary list of achievements there, but surely being the first guest on the 2021 stream of this is right up the top there. <laughs> Well, all of that stuff you just listed off is now out of date, technically. So this is the... This, we're now, this, we're will now, we're now this will pride a place. The rest <laughs> of that can just do one. <laughs> this is it. We are rewriting this is the achievements live as we speak. Uh, Daddenberg for president. God. Quick, um, quick, uh, quick uh, g'day to everyone watching on, on the various streams. Uh, to Kirsten, to Ryan, to Daniel... 
uh, and to, to Jesse, everyone's saying good day. We'll get to, to that quickly. But, um, Becky, you're obviously calling in from the UK, um, having your, your 8.30 a.m. morning dream. Where, whereabouts are you in the world? So I live in Brighton, which is on the south coast of England in the UK. Um, it's not London. It's about an hour south of London um, on the beach. Um, we The whole of the UK was blanketed in snow recently, except for Brighton, because... Um, I, I don't. I don't know why. So Brighton is the gay capital of the UK. It's the home of Fatboy Slim and cool people like me. <laughs> I am glad you actually classified that because if you go an hour south of Sydney, for example, you're still in Sydney. If you go an hour south of Melbourne, you get wet, but technically you're still in Melbourne. You are in lockdown at the moment over there in the UK, which is which is never fun. We've all um, experienced that in various. Um, elements here here in Australia, but how, how's it looking, and particularly from, you know, maybe the, the hospitality and, and that sort of world, how, how are those guys going over there at the moment? Oh, wow. So, gosh, how long has hospitality been locked down for? I went for – so we went into this bizarre tier system where different areas of the UK were, like, allowed to open or not allowed to open depending on, like, the COVID risk. In Brighton, we were in – well, London, I think, was in the, one of the strictest tiers since maybe early December. In Brighton, we were still allowed to go out for drinks on up until Christmas – after Christmas, basically, the entire of the UK has just shut down completely. It's looking like schools aren't going back until March time, I think. And hospitality is rumoured to not be allowed to reopen until May, which is dangerous. So the, so basically, at the moment, there's also this... Um, uh, law where landlords cannot evict their tenants there's like a blanket rule on that so a lot of hospitality workers who've obviously not been able to pay their rent or they're still safe and not being able to be evicted that ends the end of this month yet hospitality is not being reopened until probably may so there's a bit of an issue there. i think i think there'll be a lot of people who are maybe in trouble and also the airports are closed. No one can go anywhere. So if you're an overseas bar worker, then you can't go back home. <laughs> unless, unless you're an influencer, where I gather you can go to Dubai and do your fitness program <laughs> from from Dubai because, yeah. you know, your online fitness plan needs to be done from a nice location rather than Sucked home. in, sucked in. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously... Andy, I didn't know you followed the Geordie Shore guys like I do. Oh, <laughs> every day, they're my they're my fans. <laughs> I, um, I had an interesting conversation today. There was um, a certain uh, whiskey has been announced um, in in maybe a an Asian country quite famous for uh, whiskey and rarity at the moment. Um, and you know, getting calls all day long, and then um, you know, call the supplier, and that's sort of look, mate. I just need an answer. When is it coming? Is it not? It's like it's a global travel retail exclusive. It's like it's a what? It's like okay, so what, what what do we do here? Do I buy a ticket and hang out in Sydney Airport for a bit, and then walk around the other side and buy it on the way out? Um, so that, that's an interesting uh, thing going on at the moment. <laughs> Kudos to anyone that is releasing, yeah, GTR releases. It's uh, it's up there with. Ambition. <laughs> All right, should we kick it off? Becky, for the people at home, 
tell us how you started and where you got to where you are right now because Scotty read off your wonderful list of credentials and all your badass all your badass accolades so how'd you get started um gosh well um I had a dream. <laughs> that, is, that is the best answer I've had for that question so far. Is this, is this the start of our musical? Are we now? I dreamed a dream. I had a dream. That's my thing. That's enough. Uh, no, I did. You know what? I wanted to be a film critic. I really. I'm a big film geek. But that's what I did for my degree. I'm a. I'm a, I'm a film geek. I'm a gamer. Um, I'm just a big nerd, basically. But um, so I did a, a journalism postgraduate diploma after I finished university with the aim of becoming um, a, a film critic. But <clears throat> that didn't work out. It turns out getting into film is much harder than being a female whiskey writer. So <laughs> I uh, that didn't work out. And I, actually, it was very difficult to find a role uh, just after coming out of um university i ended up working in a lot of different bars and restaurants um so i did make cocktails for quite a long time for a few years uh was managing a restaurant during university uh so i do know how to make a few cocktails and i do know how to pour a pint of guinness which is a very important life skill i think um but i ended up loving yes and i ended up loving the hospitality industry so that was actually my first job was writing about hospitality for a b2b publication based in the uk called big hospitality terrible name for a website i don't know why they never changed it <laughs> it still exists but um and it was kind of the website of restaurant magazine and the world's 50 best restaurant awards so oh i ended up navigating more towards writing about food and i mean i've managed to travel the world eating in some incredible places um i've been in sydney even and eating at key which was like a highlight it was absolutely incredible um attica in melbourne as well i don't know if that's still open or not great spot great place ago. yeah i'm just i'm quite jealous mm. as the person that lives here and hasn't either <laughs> it's all right carry on Sorry, Andy. <laughs> well you know we've no no keep rubbing it in no no rub it in please <laughs> please <laughs> I see. I was one of the original influencers. For the sake of a few photos. And back then that was like, you know, Instagram or Facebook didn't exist. So it was like easy to do. Um, but then I, I just sort of moved. I transitioned a bit more into the drink side and became a deputy editor of the Spirits Business magazine, which is an international trade magazine. And then from there, moved into scotchwhiskey.com uh, as editor. And now I'm freelance because scotchwhiskey.com went under just before COVID. <laughs> so, which was great timing because it meant I went freelance at a time when everything shut down and there was no government support for new freelancers. <laughs> so, so when all of the work dried up and everybody else was like, oh, it's cool. Yeah, I'm just on furlough. I was like, I have no work, <laughs> no money. <laughs> but yeah, you just got to carry on in whatever way you can, I suppose. And my um, my kind of way of coping with the shit show that was thrust upon us was to uh, raise money for charity. <laughs> so that's what I did. So um, our whiskey, which is a platform I launched a couple of years ago in uh, 2018 with Georgie Bell, who uh, at the time was the Global Malts Ambassador for Bacardi, um, we launched our whiskey. And during uh, that was kind of um, 
a, a platform to try and flip this stereotypical image of whiskey being a man's drink on its head. We've been going for a couple of years, and then during lockdown, I established the Our Whiskey Festival, which is the first in the UK to actually get whiskey in front of people during that COVID lockdown thing. And now everyone's doing festivals and tastings and everything. But I was the first, I'll have you know, I was the first, and it was bloody hard. <laughs> miniature bottles around the UK while like nothing was being shipped and everything was shut down um so yeah that was that kind of brings me up to this really and what I'm doing now is um yeah not a lot <laughs> I'm still in lockdown so it's just um again battling and trying to do, do something with my time I hope that answered your question, Alex. <laughs> no, it did. It did. I'm just wondering because it, it actually uh, goes into one of the questions we uh, wanted to ask you with what are your plans without whiskey? I knew you'd ask that. And um, so we have plans. We have plans to well, evolve. It's actually Andy, that Andy, Andy wanted to know. A- Andy put it in the list of questions. Did, did you know we were going Well, Andy knows this so well. An email to you. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, Andy, know, Andy knows me so well. We, so if anyone's watching and doesn't know, we used to work together in the same office. We didn't work together, apart from some of the whiskey shows where I used to drive yeah. you insane. <laughs> but that, that, that's the most... Well, you, you came, it was always good fun. Like I was, I was there, so the, the day that scotchwhiskey.com launched, uh, it was part of Speciality Drinks, the wider family, so... I was there in the office the day that the, the, the website went live and, and we had some, some very good whiskies afterwards to, to celebrate that launch. But as a result, afterwards, for every whiskey show, we had a, a, yeah, an amazing stand for, for scotchwhiskey.com and it, it became harder and harder each year to, to break what we'd done the previous year to, to make it better and more fantastical. But what was always fun was digesting what, you said it's like this is our idea it's like we want to do this uh, and i would had to sort of take it whilst organizing 60 other distillers who i normally just say here's your stand do what you do and tell me what you're going to do and then becca's like yeah we, we want to do this how, how do we do this uh, and it was just always this, this fun game of sort of <laughs> taking this very crazy idea that that was amazing but putting it into reality and sort of helping actually shape it out and so it was uh it was great fun. I, I, I did love that because it actually, for, for once, it did give me a chance to be a part of the event itself because I was actually inputting in one of the stands. Um, yeah. And I was very we, jealous we some- when I then left the UK and then saw some of the stuff you did. I was just like, God damn it. I was like, I wish I was part of that. And I was like, that is awesome. <laughs> so... We, we started off with, um, so scotchwhiskey.com was given a stand at the whiskey show every year because obviously it was part of the group. And the first year when we launched, we we created, when we created a ton of miniatures, the editor's choice miniature, and we were giving one out for free to everybody who came to the show. So you got a little token on the way in and, and, and you swapped it on the scotchwhiskey.com stand. It was a way of, of getting people to come to our stand so they could actually see that we existed. And within about four weeks, those miniatures were being flipped for £10 within a week. <laughs> Ridiculous. Of course they were, yeah. Ridiculous. On, on, on our yeah. sister company's website as well. Just like, 
profit at every stage is fine. That's good. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. We had some great concepts. There was the garden, the secret garden sessions. We created a garden within the wizard show. Were you part of that one that year? Yeah, yeah. We did gardens and we did a phone booth as well. Sorry, phone party. Phone party. (laughs) (laughs) Not phone. Phone. We did a booth where people used to come in and describe the whiskies that they were tasting. Um, and the, the, the early early on in the day, there were some really great videos of people talking about whiskey and being really descriptive and interesting. And we got some of the you know, amazing master distillers. So people like Bill Lumsden and David Turner and, you know, um, I can't even think of names now, but, you know, some of the top distillers in, in, in the world that were walking into this room and talking about different whiskies. And then you get to the ones that are about an hour before close, and it's someone that's been there for six hours just going, it's, it's lovely, it's sad, uh, it's sad. Uh, <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's uh, <laughs> I'm getting, yeah, uh, sweetness. I'm like, fuck, oh, is that a calm, calm, calm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, so that's that was, that was your, <laughs> what was the question. Yeah. What are your plans? What are your I plans? I will say good day to a couple of people. Uh, oh. to, to Bree Atwood, um, who's listening in the Atwoods from Backwards. Just to hi, um, G'day and, and hi to Becky. And Joel Eastman actually recently drank one of those miniatures. And can you confirm or deny that the editor's choice was Glenn Farkless? Uh, it was... An unnamed distillery <laughs> that your sources may be not that far off the truth. Yeah. And Joel, Joel Eastman, to put in context, is a friend of ours from the UK, but is also a former Oak Barrel employee. OG, OG Oak Barrel. Ooh. And oh, when, wow. when people come into the Oak Barrel and they say, hey, uh, Scott, you've done a really great job with this whiskey department, I say, I kind of laugh and be like, ah, you know, it was actually Dave Withers that did this and I just inherited it. And when people used to come in and say to Dave Withers, hey, you did a really good job with this whiskey department, he'd go, ah, and laugh and take the credit. It was actually Joel. So um, take, I'm taking all the credit for what Joel did um, a little while ago. So thank you, Joel. <laughs> um, but, yes, about 10 minutes ago we did ask um, so a question about the plans for our whiskey and maybe as well what it is for people at home who may not be familiar with it. <laughs> okay. So our whiskey is, um, as I said, a few years ago, we launched it as a uh, a platform or a campaign, I suppose, to try and challenge this stereotypical image of whiskey being a man's drink. And I suppose the reason why George and I decided to found this is just because we got so fed up of always being asked um, whether we knew anything about whiskey, whether we even liked whiskey, um, whether we needed to have water in our whiskey, because obviously being women, we couldn't handle it at like neat strength. And bearing in mind, both of us have distilling qualifications. Georgie has a diploma in distilling and, and I've got a GCD. I was the first journalist to even have that. And we've both been working in whiskey for years and years. Yet the, the general perception is you're a woman you do not know anything about whiskey and obviously there's an age thing there as well so we decided to launch this to launch our whiskey and we were blown away by how much support it had from the off it was very clear that we'd created a movement um, and something which was very much needed so 
over the last few years, we've just been really promoting content on um, social media, doing speaking events, and even to be honest, at speaking events, we've had opp- we've had times where we'll take to the stage and half the room will stand up and walk out because they're not interested in listening to women talking about gender and representation in whiskey and all men by the way obviously <laughs> we've had um, we've had um one one scenario was when we were speaking at an event in uh, the Cotswolds a, a whiskey forum and we were deemed by one of the organizers that we weren't um interesting enough to uh, be part of the main lineup so we were removed from the schedule despite being invited on there we were removed from the schedule and told that we could only speak after dinner which was 11 o'clock at night after a whole day of drinking and eating and everyone was tired and bored so that was the was a highlight so we've spent years being not listened to we've had like a few we've spoken to a few um companies in private um we, there was a really big one which hit um a big facebook group in australia actually i think it was a women's bartending group um on facebook uh which really highlighted some of the misogynistic uh, quite horrific and in one case quite rapey content that one australian slash scotch whiskey brand was putting out and that kind of went nuts uh <laughs> But thankfully, it needed kind of good. We'd been speaking to this brand for months leading up to this point, and they were not changing any of their content or their tact or anything like that. So it needed a kind of group effort of people saying, This is not okay. Um, so since then, we've been having conversations with, with different companies, but nothing's really, we've just still not been taken seriously until September last year when I put something out on my socials, which kind of blew up and went a bit nuts. And since then, whiskey companies are now listening and they've seen that the res- it was the response to that post from the wider whiskey community that made people go, oh, actually, there is a widespread problem here that we need to do something about. And really, since then, it's been the response that I had to that post from women in the global whiskey community. So uh, maybe women who have just um, started as um, working in a whiskey shop or behind a bar, all the way through to brand ambassadors and even some of the most respected master blenders and distillers. I had so many messages, hundreds of messages from women all over the world saying thank you for saying something and telling me their own personal stories of sexist remarks and misogynistic comments and um, inappropriate behavior and they're all sick of it and they're just like this needs to stop so thank you for saying something because it seems like the industry is now listening so going forwards what we want to do with our whiskey is to really uh, we have got some plans which i'm not ready to talk about yet i'm sorry but but we do have plans to i think with everything that I want to do with our whiskey going forward, it's to um, really help all of those women that messaged me mm. following September to um, change, to try to change the whiskey industry, to make it a much more comfortable, welcoming um, place for women to to feel that they can work in that environment and that they can succeed. And ultimately that, you know, it might not happen in our generation, but at some point, that a woman can walk into a whiskey bar or even just a regular bar, <laughs> order a whiskey and not be asked, do you want water with that? Yeah. Are you sure? Um, 
that's that's the goal. So we've got some plans and it will be evolving and there'll be a lot of speaking with whiskey companies privately uh, in, through consultant uh, consultory manner. <laughs> Am I saying that right? <laughs> so there'll be there's a lot of things coming. Um, so to to give you an idea, March um, 2018. So it was International Women's Day when we launched in 2018, and that's coming up again next month. So expect to see something from us next month at least, anyway. And it should be quite a big splash. Just on the on that last point, do you find some of the challenges here? Uh, do you find the biggest challenges vary in Culturally or geographically, as in, like, the, as, as you said, you, there was a bit of traction in that that discussion, and that was around an Australian uh, brand or an Australian uh, whiskey. I got, but it was it was it was a Scottish brand. Okay, so sorry, Scottish brand that was yep Australian people. It's a, it's a Scotch brand that is owned by an Australian company. That very that narrows it very much down. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, and it, it may. I'm going to hazard a guess and, and maybe say it isn't the particularly distillery's name, but maybe their entry to market and some of the advertising around that. It's, it's not a single malt. No. It's not a single malt. But, it's, um, but no. do you find those, the challenges are much more cultural or geographical? Do you like the changes, the, the variation in that? I think, I think what's important to understand is that obviously different cultures um, are, are very different around the world. So what um, I was told yesterday that apparently in Poland, whiskey drinkers are 50-50 male, female, which I had no idea actually that that was the case. But the, mm. the marketing in Poland is very mm. skewed towards um, being targeted at men specifically mm even though that there's that kind of balance of, of male-female drinkers. I think, obviously, different cultures have different um, understandings, I guess, of who is allowed to drink. And obviously, there are very traditional markets where it is the, um, the, the male is still the breadwinner of the family. They're the ones going out earning the money. So therefore, as a culture, they're the ones who are allowed and it's socially acceptable for them to go and be drinking, especially something as aspirational as whiskey or scotch in in, in bars, etc. So it's it's very different. So in some markets, um, they will still continue to just target men in their advertising because that's their traditional drinker. That's who they're going for. But in markets like the UK, the US, Australia, um, I guess more developed um, liquor markets, I suppose, it's... Um, I just don't understand why this perception still exists, and it shouldn't do, because uh, obviously, as we know, as you guys know, you know, anyone who runs a bar or sells whiskey knows that women do actually enjoy whiskey. I think it's a, a fallout from um, traditional advertising, which always targeted that male consumer, and that's kind of drip-fed through our our. Um, uh, our cultures through through television and film. So anybody who's writing a script for TV or film will write in that the guy's drinking a whiskey and the girl's drinking a gin and tonic or a martini because that's a, a gender is playing into this stereotype, like all characters are stereotypes. And even now, when we're seeing women drinking whiskey being portrayed on film or TV, they're shown as being a bad girl, like a badass, and that's all an alcoholic. So, like Jessica Jones, for instance, I'm thinking bad girls as well. Mina Kuhn is drinking her whiskey. It's only ever the bad girl that drinks whiskey, and then that's then created this whole wave of content. You can Google this. 
a number of articles online which talk about uh, 10 reasons why you should date a woman who drinks whiskey and there's just a stream of misogynistic bullshit about how oh she walks with swagger and <laughs> she's a bad girl really but she knows how to take her liquor and it's just gross <laughs> and this all comes from 1960s 1970s traditional whiskey marketing so it's yeah i think it's endemic across those kinds of traditional markets um but i think it'll take time and it'll take baby steps and i think once the the traditional markets start to correct the imbalance, then those those newer markets will will start to notice that too and follow on. But it, it I don't do think you, it's going to happen in our life. Do you see that as generational? Because like I, I'm I'm hundred percent looking at yourself and Alex and this, but from you know when I look back at when I I started in the industry, there were there are very few females working in our industry. And, and I, I remember joining the Whiskey Exchange and I, I sat on the floor and there were 10, 11 people on my floor uh, and all men uh, and all predominantly middle-aged. Um, love you all, but you're all middle-aged. Um, but, you know, I, I, joined, I joined that sort of group and I was sort of the younger person and, and it was all middle-aged white men and that was kind of the the category and within two years of me being in that company i'd say 30 percent 40 percent of our floor was was female uh, and it was you know i remember thinking it was quite weird coming from wine to to whiskey that there was there was no women on our you know in our business really at all in the sort of working aspect and all of a sudden there were uh, and it was kind of like cool, yeah. We've, we're sort of slowly balancing that aspect, but that's at the the level where you know you and I are at, where it's just like you know we're working our way through and up, up the industry at various different ages. Uh, but we're the, the younger generation of this industry. Is, is it? Do you think it's the case that when when that older generation stop being as relevant as as our generation, that the we gain that voice of you know, gender equality and actually sort of we're all, you know, you're less likely, you know, and I suppose, you know, Alex is probably quite prominent to use. It's like, do you find that this idea and concept of, you know, men looking at women going, you know, what do you know? Is that an age aspect or does it still filter down to, you know, our generation? Um, well, I think that there are there are two points in there. So one is that um, un- so unconscious bias is the root cause here. So it's it's people who are um, making an assumption based on a stereotype that they have in their head, but they're not really thinking about it. It's just it's yeah. unconscious. So they're forming an opinion about something based on things that they've seen. It's an impression that they've created. So they're not thinking about that. And both men and women can have unconscious biases so and old and young people as well and there are so many ways of looking at that that so i think having one really key part of of making any kind of change is unconscious bias training and to con to always be consciously thinking about well where's my representation here who am i speaking to why I, I trying not to make assumptions about somebody based yeah. on whatever preconceived ideas that you have. Um, the other point is that, uh, yes, I agree that 
there is, again, it kind of feeds into this unconscious bias thing, but if you have a team of um, older people who've been doing a certain job or working in this industry for a long amount of time, they've already set in their ways. They've already got their perception of who their whiskey drinker is and the way things should run. And this is why actually building more diversity into the workplace is is, is a great idea, not only because it makes it's it's ethically right, but it makes good business sense because a more diverse team is more creative, it's more productive, they work better together. You've got people not just in terms of like colour, um, like race or gender or anything like that, or even um, sexual orientation, even down to things like where did you grow up, where where are you from, what what are your interests. Are you, that person's into cars, that person's into film, that person's into ballet. And bringing all of these um, ideas and interests together makes a more diverse team, which then informs the next generation and the evolution of said industry. So I think now we're at um, a, a turning point in whiskey. And as you said, like seeing our floor on, at the whiskey exchange completely change and I remember seeing that too. I think when I started, <laughs> the girls' bathroom <laughs> on the second floor, <laughs> the girls' bathroom on the second floor was full of hairspray and toothbrushes <laughs> and makeup and deodorant, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Because there were the girls who run London Cocktail Week were up there, and then there was me, <laughs> and, yeah. that, and that was it. So there was there were the I think it was three of them. Three of them, yeah. At that point three of them and then me and that was it so in terms of people using that bathroom it was like oh yeah they just kept all of their stuff in there because <laughs> no one's gonna like but then I, I do remember over maybe a, it took maybe a couple of years but then that floor did start to evolve and change and there were a lot yeah. of women um hired and it kind of across every department um, as well. It was, you know, it was in web design, yeah. it was in the, the designing team, it was in the editorial team. It was, you know, it was, it was a great change Alex. to see. But you know, it's also, you know, just because we're changing here, unfortunately, didn't mean that consumer perception was was changing. I have a, it's a little bit of a question related to your studies, um, which I only found out through Andy um, that you had done your uh, distilling uh, degree. Can you tell me about what made you jump to do that decision? Because I'm at that point too, and I, I really need that advice because I keep tell, I keep being told, don't worry about it. Personally, I wanted to do it for a little bit of street cred, if that makes sense, to sort of justify that I, I might know what I'm talking about. Um, well, yes. Yeah. You're the only one in the group that actually wants to become a distiller. So, yeah. <laughs> Give a bit of context here. This is a bit of a running thing. When you ask this group who wants to be a distiller, there's only one person that puts their hand up because the other three think it's reasonably hard work. So your question, your answer to this group is not only going to inspire Alex to yay or nay, but it's also going to, I think, maybe fortify our belief that, yes, that sounds like too much hard work. <laughs> I, I watched Becky do it. I know it's too much hard work. <laughs> Which, which which qualification are you, do you have your eye on? Uh, I'm looking at Harriet Watt at the moment. Um, there's one through okay. there. There's also one done through Tasmania, which I am not overly sold on yet. Um, it's a certificate, not actually a degree. 
Um, so I've looked through Harriet Watt. I've just started getting all the packages sent over to me to finally maybe do it. So that's general ba- bachelor brewing and di- brewing and distilling. Yeah. Okay. So the one the one that I did was the general certificate in distillation, which was through the Institute of Brewing and Distilling. So it's a different body to Harriet Watt, but the the pathway would be you've got the foundation, then the general certificate in distilling, so the GCD, then a, there's a diploma, and then you could go on to do a Harriet Watt degree as well, or you can just skip all of those and do a degree if you're that confident in your your science and maths and all of that kind of thing. So the reason why I decided to do a GCD is for the same reasons that you want to get your qualification, which is want to show people that I know what I'm talking about. I'd just taken on a role as editor of a very prominent Scotch whiskey title, and I was forever being mistaken as Dave Brim's PA, which Andy probably remembers bothered me quite a lot because (laughs) I was just, (laughs) Boss. <laughs> um, so I was just frustrated with never being taken seriously and decided to do the GCD. Uh, I was very fortunate in that Sekinda, um, the owner of the Whiskey Exchange, uh, w- let me do that. And so he paid for me to do that. Uh, otherwise, I think it was around £900 to do the course, which basically involved studying a manual on my own for a year and then um, doing a four-day course in Edinburgh to learn more about it and then taking a um, multiple um, choice question, uh, multiple choice exam. It's hard. It was really hard. So the GCD is what most distillery operators um, gain when, they, when they're working within a company. And quite often the company will support the studying. If you're doing it on your own, it's much more difficult because you don't have that network of, of people to lean on or the distillers to actually get the right answers because they are looking for certain right answers. I'm so glad I did it. It gave me a better, deeper understanding. You may know all of this stuff already, but you, having that qualification helps. It's, it's awful to say this, but as women, we do sometimes need to prove ourselves. So actually having that qualification helps show that you know what you're talking about. Um, I would certainly wouldn't be where I am now without it. Um, mm. I would say go for it. I also would say don't be put off by anything that seems hard because as long as you put the work in, you're more than capable. And there are plenty of people around the world who, are, who would be very happy to support you and, and help guide you through anything like that at all. There were so many people I spoke to. Georgie Bell had done hers um, prior to me doing it. Actually, she was the one who suggested I do it because she had done her diploma. She got like the highest marks of anyone in the entire world that year. So she won a scholarship to the worship of some of the she did. or something. <laughs> yeah. She is, that girl is so amazing. She's amazing. Um, she encouraged me to do the BCD, and um, so I was lucky I had her to ask questions to because there were like so many I had at that time. It was like, what's the difference between a louter and a semi-louter? Like, and this this sort of stuff like comes up on um, uh, this sort of stuff comes up on on the exam, and that there were so many intricate questions. But yeah, there you go. I would say definitely do it. Okay. I also think that some distillers in some distillers in Australia would be very very happy that I did it uh, instead of asking them questions and pinning them up and continually going. If you need if you need to end this conversation, your safe word is 
just because I ask so many questions. So I kind of feel like this might give the Australian distillers a bit of a break. It also put you in the top category of distillers in Australia if you had that qualification. So there you go. A um, couple of comments coming through. I want to say a quick g'day to Michelle and or Mark Burns from the Aisling Distillery out in Griffith. Um, say good day, ladies and gents to them. Uh, and Brie Atwoods uh, from Yakandanda says, uh, Alex Lee has done it and would support you through it. Do it. Thank you. Um, so I think that's, that's a, a fairly well, well um, endorsement for doing it. Um, but again, yes, that sounds like way too much hard work. And I work at the Oak Barrel, the greatest <laughs> job in the world. So no, I will not be making it hard for myself. <laughs> no. Um, it's interesting. Actually, there's, there's something that's come through on the, on the drink as well, that, and I'm going to pick on Brie again, um, a comment that she made. Um, in terms of the growth of craft distilleries in Australia, and, and Becky, I don't know how familiar you are with, like, the very micro distilleries that are popping up, a lot of them are run by couples. Um, so they're obviously, you know, generally for the most part a, a 50-50 split of male and female. Um, and just on her Facebook following on the on the um, backwards distillery, they have a 60-40 male-female split, which is which is kind of remarkable when, when you consider about generic following. And it actually reminded me of in my previous life before the Oak Barrel, I ran a company called Dram Club with one of my best mates, Yvette Mayhill, who now lives in the country. And we would have 50-50 or 60-40 um, female male splits, I think because we had a, a female co-presenter and, and up there. Um, and I've never been able to recreate that, you know, that that level. I, you know, the tastings that I've run generally for whatever reason have been, you know, male, male skewed. So I think that's quite an interesting point that um, women in, you know, the places of, of authority or expertise, you know, will help that along as well, which I, I think is, is very much true. Mm. I totally agree that the, the, the more women that we have in production roles, um, the better, really, because not only are they directing the, the, not only helping the direction of whiskey in terms of the flavour, the spirit, like exactly what we're doing, uh, but they're also um, overseeing the marketing as well of, the, of how they're, company is being portrayed what's also what's important also to bear in mind is yes the perception will change the more women we have actually working in the industry but we need to see that representation in communications as well so i I personally i think there's a two-prong approach to changing the perception one is the um, increase of women and let's not forget people of color as well working in the industry but the other one is um making sure that, that there is representation of those people in communications and that's how we change um this perception the role the media has to play in this is so important because happening on Australia is incredible. Obviously, we're seeing that a, a similar kind of growth of craft distilling in the US as well in, in the whiskey industry. And a lot of distilleries being uh, managed by a husband and wife team. And um, I was speaking with a couple recently and the wife was saying how frustrating it is always being referred to in an article as um, the owner's wife when they're co-owners. And she's like, he does all the three production stuff and she does all the most of the marketing side of things as well, but also has a hand in like spirit creation. She's just an add on. And there's also like always a a photo of the two of them and it's a distillery owner, his name and his wife, her name. And it's frustrating for her. So I think there also needs to be um, some education done for the media, the general media. I think whiskey media understand this mostly 
there are some exceptions, but um, <laughs> that I think I think yeah, the whiskey media needs to know. But as um, I can't remember who said it, maybe it was Matt. Um, it takes all of us calling it out whenever we see it and say something, do something about it. That's how we change change the narrative. I, I, you, you talk about media, like it's the the way that we communicate from a whiskey perspective. You know, when when you first started as a as a journalist, the main way of communicating to, to people was through magazines and through you know, proper journalism, as I would call it. Um, uh, and that was one of the reasons why we, you know, I thought you were one of the most amazing sort of hires for the Whiskey Exchange is because you actually, you're a journalist uh, and what you brought was, was journalism, yeah. not whiskey writing. But the, the great thing that I think, you know, Great thing and negative thing is the way that we talk about whiskey now is, is evolved massively and you can be a, a whiskey writer, a whiskey blogger and, and so forth and everything. Uh, and everything is is quite broad and diverse. And what's what's your opinion of how the, the journalism in whiskey has changed? And do, do you think it's better or worse? Do you think it's you know, obviously there's there's now not just ten men writing articles and so that's that's a big change, but like, what? How do you feel that the, the journalism, in terms of writing about whiskey, is, is developed? Do you think it's positive or still pretty fucked? I think generally, let's talk about trade. So, specialist journalists specialising yeah. experience first. Mm. I think that um, the standard of journalism has always been high um, for people who specialise in spirits. If you have a journalism qualification. The problem is that, um, as we both know, publications that are run by journalists are dying because there is no support from the industry for them. There is a lack of um, financial support because brands would rather, they see more value in putting their money behind social media influencers and bloggers than actual journalists and actual publications there's a, there's a whole raft of reasons why but the problem with that is that actual publications which are formed on a basis of impartiality accuracy integrity yeah. they're dying because brands would rather use an influencer who talk, just talks about their brand in the most positive most amazing way in return for a bottle of free whiskey and that's what we're seeing. This is something I struggle with right now. Um, or I openly struggle with uh, the influencer side of whiskey uh, rather than having that knowledge uh, and base behind or even an industry background with uh, some of the, um, I suppose, posts that we're seeing these days. Uh, it's, one of my, it's one of my big like, pet hates right now. Mm. Um, I'd, rather, I'd, rather read, I'd rather read articles. Uh, about someone's experience and journey through it, um, like a journalist style of writing rather yeah. than a cute little post on Instagram with the face. But it, it transcends to TV as well, unfortunately. And I think the, the TV personalities that are talking about spirits, I, I couldn't tell you a female personality talking about spirits. Uh, you know, I, I don't know much about what, you know, TV shows about spirits in, in Australia, but in the UK, it's still 
white men. It's an ego thing, and it, it's it's a it's, it's I did you know we had an interesting conversation with my wife about this the other day. It's you know, it's quite often you know, the way that men approach things is like you fight and you they're they're a bit more egotistical from the outgo, so they they sort of get noticed more, not for necessarily for the right reasons, but they get noticed more and get put, things put forward more because they just shout at the top of their head first. And there's exceptions, Alex. I know that. I've been, yeah, I've been, watching, a lot of, I've been watching a lot of love and hip-hop lately, and that show says otherwise. What you <laughs> yeah. No, I understand that, but I, and I think generally that they, they get, you know, men get put into these positions more because they're, they're claiming something before they can actually claim it, uh, which is you know a, a typical male statistical analysis. It's frustrating to see that there's, you know, when there's zero representation on TV, you know, you then, like, TV is the main consumption of media, and then you go to journalism, and then you go to blogs. It's like, if we're not there, then how can we filter down? It's like, you know, I think, um, I think it's been interesting to watch the marketing and a lot of what you've been speaking about, Becky, with um, if you are a, a whiskey or, or any sort of spirits or even alcohol company and you run a marketing campaign and you are not marketing or you're exclusively marketing to males, you're not doing your fucking job because there is a big market out there that want to spend money on the thing you're selling, fucking market to yeah. them and do your job fucking properly. Yeah. Um, but well, there's like that's, why, that's why I love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, there's a good statistic here, like uh, 80% of household purchases are made by women. So if you're not marketing to the person who has the spending power within the household, what's the point? What's the point? You're missing yeah. out a huge chunk of, of potential sales, the potential revenue. So that's your problem. Hmm. Alex, is it a throwdown size Jack Daniels bottle you just had just there? Kind of a throwdown, Jack. I did try really hard to put it in a glass before. I was like, Becky's here, I need to be proper. So I put it in a glass, and then without even thinking, the last time yep. I just slugged it out of the So your, your selected drink is, so. is half size JD bottles now. So, so to throw it away from, from quite a serious conversation that we've been having, you're, as a journalist, you used to write a lot of, you know, certainly at scotchwhiskey.com, you're always reviewing whiskies and analyzing whiskies. How how do you stay impartial in okay. your in your analysis? Because it's it's a thing that's come up quite quite recently in terms of awards and you know, award shows and like who's who wins and who doesn't and why do they win and why do they not? Who, um, who votes? And who, who votes? votes? We're not having that discussion. Well, yeah, we're not that one. Push that out the side. But when you're you know you you were very good at analyzing whiskies and reviewing whiskies impartially. How do you do it uh, and what what process do you go through to make sure that you're analysing this purely from fact and not from preference? Just years yeah. of being a journalist, an impartial journalist, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it helps to be – I don't have – so when I was editor of scotchwhiskey.com, um, I refused – I was approached by quite a lot of companies to um, do – independent tastings or work with them or do consultation and that was totally unethical i was editor of a publication and you shouldn't be mixing the two there are people out there who are editors of publications who are doing that which i completely disagree with because if you are in any way a journalist and not all editors are journalists let's say that too then we need to you know the understanding is 
you need to be impartial and you cannot be taking money on the side for doing other bits and pieces because that goes against every single code. So everything I reviewed for uh, scotchwhiskey.com was, yes, I knew what the product was, but I would take a approach being like, well, let's just assess it in terms of how it actually is. So does it hit the marks right? Is it actually, um, is there anything wrong with it technically? How does it smell and taste? Is it is it well put together? And I'll do a mark based on actually what I think because we're, I'm not reviewing something for the company. I'm reviewing something for the consumer, for the people reading the review. Yeah. And if I'm not being true and honest about what that product tastes like, that ruins my integrity as a as a whiskey writer because people then stop trusting me and my <laughs> opinion. So it. it by playing into whatever I think a brand probably wants, that's that's going to ruin everything. And there are times where I've come across a whiskey and I'm like, oh, there is something technically wrong with that. And I'll actually remove it from the reviews. I won't review it because I don't want to get that out there because it's damaging for the brand. They probably yeah. got something fault um, and, and it's not right for them. People mm-hmm. won't buy it. So what I would rather do is go directly straight to the brand and say, I've just tried this. I think there's a fault. Um, do you want to send me another yeah. sample just in case? Um, and go through that kind of route. And the same thing happens as well with um, with, with awards as well. So I've, I've judged a few awards over the years through the Spirits Business and Whiskey Magazine's awards and some, several others. And it, it's the same thing. If you taste, smell or taste it, you're like, this is not right. And there have been times where they've sent in a bottle, which is a show bottle. So the liquid inside is water with colouring. <laughs> we, we had that at the Gin Awards judging this year, the Australian Gin Awards, because you don't know because it's gin, it's clear, and there was a bottle of water. Yeah, and just like, well, this is very mild, this one, very mild. Ten out of ten, um, we recommend. <laughs> <laughs> you could record the whole bottle of this and it wouldn't get you drunk smooth as silk there's that word um, it's smooth I think... <laughs> sorry sorry what are you going to say uh, yeah so I think that's excellent and it's also um, well done to Andy and Becky for inadvertently providing me with an excellent segue into our next section because I, I said um, we were going to have you know an hour long here, but we're going to go for an hour and ten minutes if that's okay, Becky. Um, and for those watching or maybe listening to the podcast, and Alex is yes drinking out of a half size bottle of Jack Daniels, but Becky I think is the best because the size of her mug, it's a huge mug, um, and you, you, there's no telling me that uh, that's just. At, uh, it's now 9 o'clock or 9.30 in the UK. There's a drop or two of whiskey in the <laughs> um, But an excellent uh, segue into what's going to be our final, uh, like uh, we're going to end each episode with a little segment here um, from our, our new sponsors of the car slash slow slash whatever this booze up you want to call it, which is whiskeyarden.com.au, which if you go to whiskeyarden.com.au, it'll say under construction at the moment because it is, it's taking a facelift. But it's actually a, a website based very much around what you guys have been talking about. If, if you're not familiar with, with my backstory, for some people watching, is I'm, I'm a newsman. Um, I came from a from writing news and journalism before I got into to whiskey. Unfortunately, that industry was going one way, and and you can't download or copy and paste whiskey. So I sort of jumped ship, and, uh, jumped ship, and came over here. Jump ship. You know, it's it's pretty shit over there for a little while, but. Um, <laughs> um, and it is it is very lacking, and, and the scotch uh, uh, scotchwhiskey.com, long may it rest, 
because it was an absolute outstanding. I loved it. So I, I still use it, to be fair. It's still live. I still use it as a reference point. Um, yeah. Outstanding source of bias. Um, and I, I love all the blogs that, that pop up, um, but for just actual news and, and and that sort of clear information, particularly from a, a market like Australia where we don't, we get things six months late. We need to be informed about that and what's actually coming mm-hmm. here. Um, that's a big thing. But one thing that that website introduced before it went a little bit quiet uh, last year was the thing called the Whiskey Proust Questionnaire. Those who may be familiar, um, the Proust Questionnaire is an old parlour game by Marcel Proust. You can say Proust if you want. I say Proust because I'm Australian. Uh, so the Proust Questionnaire was adapted to whiskey. So at the end of each episode, we're going to pick one question at random. I say at random, but obviously not. I'm going to pick one. it. And one. Yeah, one, one question to our, our special guest, which then may be um, asked by, uh, answered by the, the rest of the group as well. Um, but the question I picked out from the Prowse questionnaire, which looks, I think, makes sense to, to Becky and your career, and is what word or phrase do you overuse when talking about whiskey? Oh. I, I know all of these three, uh, my, my three roundtable guests, and I. Oh really? Oh, intrigued. Really? You don't have to go before us. Yeah, I might, I might kick us off then. Um, what word or phrase do you overuse when talking about whiskey? For me, is mm, just not liquid, though, is it? <laughs> <laughs> That's good, but it's not liquid. <laughs> um, no, I, I uh, soft and round. Uh, my overused ones. I use soft and round way too much. I don't want to hear what Scotty's guess is, though, of ours. Uh, okay, I, I didn't think this one. Yeah, 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 you put your foot in I just yeah. try to be smart ass there, to be, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, gotcha, isn't it? I now work with a lot more bourbon. And, like, it's always the thing, like, when you when you start now, it was the same when I was in wine. Like, I had words that I attached myself to in wine. And this is like, that's a descriptor. Um it didn't matter if it was in the wine or not. If I thought this was a style of wine, I was just like, yeah, using that word. And you were kind of educated because the way that you have to do your exams, you're educated to just, if it's this wine, write this word. It's just like, uh, but I don't get it. It's like, no, write this word. And so for bourbon, I get chewy. Uh, uh, and I always, always, and I shouldn't, but any high proof bourbon, I'm like, oh, it's nice and chewy. It's going, you know, it's going. I mean, it's, it's, it's not as relevant there because all bourbon tastes the same. So you, you can't oh. <laughs> come at yes. me. I actually love bourbon, but they're going to come at me now. I can see <laughs> it would be, be the I think, I think, I think your, your allocation of Pappy and BTAC is, is just yeah. hard. I think, there's, I think there's a delete button there. Yeah. Like, just, that, that, that's right. That's least of my problems. The way the YouTube. Look at you, flexing, Melody. <laughs> light up after me saying that is I'm going to have more problems than just not having any Pappy. Van Winkle this year. Well, you've got none, so it's fine. It's, it's okay. It's deleted. Yeah. Obviously, I take Becky, it. I do apologize. Becky, what is your overuse? <laughs> Becky, what is your overuse word? Uh, so, I probably, a lot of my experience is in Scotch, and uh, the one I tried to, <laughs> it's, I try to use as many variations and get as specific on this note as possible because it comes up in nearly every single whiskey and that's apple. Apple is in everything. So I'm like, okay, well, what kind of apple is that? Is that green apple skin? Is it cooked apple? Is it, how is it cooked? Is it stewed or baked? 
it's an apple pie. It's an apple crumble. <laughs> the apple crumble. Like, no, no, no. Apple, the apple, spices apple. on top yeah. of the apple pie. Apple, apple coolie on top of the apple crumble. Yeah. With a side of apple pie. <laughs> slowly, slowly stewed, then baked, then compotted. Yeah, so. <laughs> apple, apple and pear and that kind of fruitiness is such a inherent quality to so many Scotch whiskies. It comes up in nearly everything. And because obviously we eat a lot of apples in England, it's always there. Always there. So I'm like, okay, I need to make sure that not all of my reviews are just the same thing. <laughs> so what kind of apple is it? But actually, well, it's can, quite... You, you don't have a, white, a whiteboard of words. It's just like, you know, tick it off every time you say the words. It's just like, I said that too much. You know, like you've, you've said it you know, four I times actually, this month. I used to... I used to, I have started... <laughs> I have a spreadsheet. <laughs> of <course. laughs> of no, I really need of, of aromas and flavors, and they're all divided into like different um, camps uh, and, and different types of flavor are within there. So there's there's like fruit, but then there's all of the different variations of apple that I've just mm. said, and then there's the pears, and then there's different then there's bramble fruit, there's orchard fruit, bramble fruit. And then there's the different kind of spices and then like any bready quality, any sweet quality, which is all the caramel stuff. And then there's a texture column. And whenever I'm tasting a whiskey, I'm like, mm, there's something and I can't put my, my finger on it. What is that? And I'll just go through my spreadsheet and be like, oh yes, that's the one. Yeah. But it's like, it's, it's super helpful because like I had that in the same thing in the wine studies. It's like you had a list and it's like, is it this? And I always, you know, when I was, educating people on wine it's just like you know you start at the top and then you work your way down but the problem is is the the less and less you do it and i you know i i now i sit on a wine panel once a month and that's it and so it gets to the point it's just like yeah it's stone fruit i'm like i yeah. i don't know stone fruit so i'm like yeah it's stone fruit go with that and it's you know you, you just you hear a ceiling and it's just like Shut you know you know that stone fruit's a category not a particular the, the fruit, fruits Andy. and the orchard fruits and the stone fruits and it's like shit I don't know what these are it's just like well I don't think Andy knows and you, and the you, stone fruit's not an actual fruit. Then you agree it's better to be vague than to be too specific and weird. Like all of these weird notes about like, oh, I'm getting this like really rare tea note that only grows in the foot of the Himalayan jungle. I'm at the SMWS. We master the weird notes. You know that much. Come on, we get the weird notes down pat. Than weird and specific. I'd like to throw to our Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. (laughs) (laughs) It's like an autumnal walk where you're wearing baggy jeans and loose clothing and a linen shirt. Yeah. With... With eau de parfum from Paco Rabanne, you know it's smoky yeah. harbour fish supper. <laughs> Carrying exactly, your smoked exactly. Killers. What's wrong yeah. with that? There's nothing wrong with that. Walk through a meadow. Nothing wrong with that. You know so, what? You know what? The, the one I use the most is still. I still use the word either funky or farmyardy when I'm actually assessing some Scotch whiskey notes because I love that in a Scotch whiskey. Like if I hear that, you know, like that sort of almost like Glen Scotia kind of brook laddie notes that you get of that funky farmyardy wet hay bales and horse saddle kind of notes. So that's probably one I yeah. overuse a lot, but I love that in a whiskey though. I use how, like how, many, how many saddles have you sat on? Uh, a few. A few. Uh, All right. Yeah. One of my worst. The horse, the horse saddle and used leather term is used so much. And it's like, so few people actually yeah, I, have sat on a horse exactly. or like have had that smell. And it's just like, how can horse you use leather. 
So, yeah, it's actually so, it's an Australian thing. No, no, no it's, so, it's on a horse, like on a saddle, on a saddle of a horse, so leather. The, the smell of a saddle, the smell of a used saddle, like a, a saddlery. So the horses sweat onto the leather and it's it is actually... on the beach, kind of, not on the, not, you know... Yeah. Grew up in the countryside. Wet, you know. wet dog. Yeah. It's, <laughs> quite, it's quite a specific smell when a horse sweats into leather. Um, and that's what the sweaty saddle or like a horse saddle smells like. One of my worst tasting notes I've ever written, but I still think it's one of the best, was that smells like Saturday night polishing my saddle with beeswax before Pony Club on a Sunday. Pony Club. Jeez. But, but now I've learned and I just write delicious. How was it? It was delicious. That's my most overused word in whiskey, purely because I like I love it, or I'm not yeah. a fan of it, and I just think that everyone should have that journey. Um, and that's, and that's, that's why note. I always use it's delicious. It's a, it's a perfect note that segues from from Matt Willer. It's like I've no idea what Heather smells like, and oh, yeah, I've I've never smelled it in Australia. But you walk to certain certain areas of Scotland, you walk in, and it's just. Heather fields with fucking miles. It's like, what do you smell? It's like nothing but Heather. And it is, it is so distinct and unique. But if you're not there, no, and it's, it's like blackcurrant black leaf is the other one. It's like blackcurrant leaf is a lot in wine. It's just like, oh, yeah, blackcurrant leaf. It's like, I've, I've never seen blackcurrants, let alone blackcurrant leaves. Mm. We also have the same thing like in, in, the UK, we use Christmas cake a lot to talk about sherry, yeah. but Asian countries don't have Christmas cake. Yeah. So it's like for them, it's like, oh, we use it all the time. Like, oh, that lovely sherry, like Christmas cake. No, you're getting, and an Asian country's like, what's Christmas cake? What yeah. is that? Mm. Even when you try and describe the fruits in it and you go raisins, prunes, dates, and like, ah, uh, no, yeah, they don't exist. If, yeah, it's like shit. If, you've, um, if you say Christmas cake in Australia, we'll be like pavlova. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, what are you I talking think, about? I think, I think that's New Zealand's Christmas cake, not Australia's. Uh, can, we, can we shut him up? Where's the mute button? Yeah, where's yeah, the mute button for him? Stop him. I, I stop know, him. I know that we were only meant to ask one, but I really want to ask one of the Proust questions. So I did the Proust, I think it was back in 2019, for Whiskey Ardent. And it was one of my favourite interviews I've ever written um, on paper. It was amazing. Um, so many awesome questions. Like some of them were like, who's the whiskey love of your life? Um, if you could only work in one distillery, what would it be? And Becky, because you've been one of my heroes in the industry, I want to ask you, <laughs> I want to ask you who is your hero in whiskey? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, oh, mm, okay. I'm not going to choose one person. I want to choose, um, oh God, this is going to sound really tacky, but I genuinely have so much respect for every single woman who has blazed a trail doing their own thing in whichever part of whiskey that they're working in, whether that's marketing and communications or spirit distillation or blending or teaching or writing. I think it's all of the women who've come before us, they have blazed a trail for us to succeed. They've done all of this groundwork. So for me, without them, I don't think we'd be where we are now. So I've, they're my heroes. I've got so much respect for, for all of the women who've done hard work and had to put up with so much worse than we've had 
Uh, and and mm. we're sitting here talking about it today, but they had it so much worse. So I um, have so much respect for, for those women. So they're all, all my heroes. There you go. Good answer. Awesome. Very good. Um, Vicky, we asked you for an hour and we've gone way over time. So I, I thank you for um, for hanging around. Um, we we like to poke fun at people here on on the um, on the whiskey roundtable, and certainly we've poked fun at, at wanky tasting notes. Um, but anyone who's watched more than one episode of this will know that I am the chief wanker of this show, um, and I'll let you into a, a little bit of a secret for a tasting note I wrote for a Port Charlotte once, a car sample. We didn't end up bottling it because it was a bit um, cost prohibitive. But, you know, when you walk into a field on a farm and uh, it's a dairy farm and there's cows and they get scared and they look at they freeze and they look at you and there's a certain smell of sweat that comes off that, that cow at that point and it was exactly what I smelt in this Port Charlotte. And I was so looking forward to bottling it, but it was just going to be too expensive at the time. So awesome. I am the, the chief wanker of this group, just to, to make that clear. Confirmed. But really important. I want to say a, a big thank you to everyone who, who watched this. To um, Peter Bignall from the Belgrove Distillery tuned in. Um, Joel, who I take all the credit for. Um, and the we're still waiting on his knighthood, but I'm sure it's coming in the mail. But Gordon Dundas. I just say shout out, shout out to Gordon. I don't, think, I don't think I've heard Gordon in this chat for a long time. And if she's still listening and still here, which I doubt because she does find it boring, but my mother-in-law, hello, Sue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she normally starts and then goes, eh. So I'm going to get into that. I was saving that one, um, Millie, but Gordon's done an excellent answer to this. The hero is Michael Jackson. I got to work with him, learned so much. Um, I actually referenced to Michael Jackson book from the 80s that I brought out during a Talisker tasting we did last week. Um, also, Rachel Barry, uh, her whiskey-making ability. But, yes, Sue Middleton did tune in to this chat. And, again, my mother didn't. Everyone else's mother watched this chat. My mother is too busy winning the trivia at the Canobolis Hotel in Orange. That's cool, whatever. Um, I'm still the oldest and the most loved child. But, Becky, I know you are very good friends with me, only very old friends. Did you know that his nickname is Puddle? <gasps> Puddles. 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 Oh, I like it when you say it. Yeah. It's, it's not a nickname that came when I was in the UK. So, it no. came when it was here. What is this referred to? What's the um, Another weird thing that happened. That's what we have time for tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do honestly have one, one uh, serious question to, to finish on, um, and it does, again, refer to Andy Puddles Milne. We were talking about it before we went live, the accent. For those who may be listening back home, has Andy Milne gone full Australian in his twang? <laughs> Try and not well, to. Yeah, that's a nod. We, that's a we nod. Need, that's, we, need more, that's a yes. we need more problems in the chat so that I, I can... Oh, yeah, yeah. Pile, pile them in, Andy. That's that's how to get them yeah. on your side. That's how to get them on your side. Come on, come on. The fact you're referring to us. As yourself, as a pom, <laughs> I know my audience. All right, I know my audience. <laughs> Sucked in. Yeah. Uh, thank you, thank you, everyone. This has been an uh, an Andy Milne's left. He might be back for episode seven, but it's been such a great way to kick off the season. Um, yeah. we, we know that we we took you know probably a little bit longer break than we we expected, but we want to come back with a bang this year. To all my lovable idiots on, on the roundtable, but particularly 
to, to Becky, who has been so generous with her time and with, with all the lead up to this, you know, in, in terms of emailing back and forth and, and making this happen, it was it's such a pleasure to be able to, to meet you virtually and, and have a chat and um, long, long may you have a long and strong career in, in this silly game we call Whiskey because you're an inspiration to everyone. Agreed. Absolutely. Thank you, Scott. Oh, guys, thank you so much for having me on. This has been probably one of the funnest whiskey chats that I've had. It's been hilarious. Um, Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Thank you. We've been talking shit for nearly a year now, guys. Yes. That's how scary this is. Yeah. Um, Alex's mum is... Uh, is here. <laughs> Vicky Jones, make your come on, mum. She's here at the moment. So, guys, quickly before I go, I'm heading on a New South Wales Victoria road trip uh, in the next couple of weeks. So, any distillers, distilleries, or anything like that that uh, would happily take me for a pop in, I need to get some uh, copper porn time in my life, please. So, I'd love to pop in and see any of Australian distilleries between. Uh, Bendigo and Sydney. So hit me up, um, send me a DM, but I'd love to catch up and see you all as many as I can fit in on my way home. Awesome. Yeah. And I'm going to take new Thank still photos. So oh, that was, that was a weird, that calendar. Shit, we didn't yeah. get that calendar after thing. Yeah. Um, no. And also, we, we spent two weeks planning uh, this episode and, and good, but I, I assure you, everyone, that uh, we're back to regular service, that we will figure out. Next week's episode at about. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you, everyone. It, it's it's descending to silliness as it normally does. We will see you all maybe next week. I don't know. Have we thought about next week? Maybe week after. Yeah. yeah. We'll see you next week, guys. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening. Any comments or want to get in touch? Hit us up on Instagram or Facebook at Whiskey Roundtable.